This is the Total Tuscany Podcast with Travis Justice and Pat Capania, episode 93. like to say that where I am is the other artisan quarter of Florence um, because uh, this is the zona Sant'Ambrogio for those of you who um, who might know Florence a little bit um, and there's actually quite a few artisans that are tucked away over here um, and we've put together a little map that shows you where we all are so you can go in and visit and see what everybody's making and there's actually quite a few of us over here so it's a great little part of town florence is famous for its handmade art sarah ambrine stands out in a crowded field of creatives with her colorful shop and studio and her unique jewelry made of polymer clay each piece is handcrafted with such detail after visiting sarah last december we knew she would be a perfect guest for the total tuscany podcast Welcome back to the Total Tuscany Podcast. If you have not started following us on the social media channels, please do so. You can find us with our Instagram page. You can like us on Facebook. And yeah, we still do that Twitter thing from now and then. And, uh, you know, if you if you like to stay up to date on what we're doing, you can find it there. Just search Total Tuscany. Pat Campania, you know what? We are going to be raising expectations. This is our third podcast of the year already. We, we, we've done more in January and February than I think we did all of 2023. It's all it's just January, Travis. <laughs> I think I think what it is is that you and I are looking forward so much to going back to, to Florence in uh, March that we're ramping up. Yeah, and, and you know, we kind of got away. A lot of things happen, but it's just one of those things you're like, you, you refine your passion, and you're right, going back in March is definitely a, a motivator. My wife and I were in Florence in December of 2023, and we stumbled upon a wonderful artisan shop. And it is uh, it was unique because it was colorful, it was bright, and it was a unique a unique uh, material, which was polymer clay. And then we started a a conversation with the owner who is Sarah Amrine, and she's an American. She was fabulous. She's been living in Florence for a long time. And just hearing her story, I'm like, a little bell went off in my head. I'm like, oh, we need to talk to Sarah and have her on the podcast. And her 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 product is amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, my wife is wearing around a a pair of earrings uh, that that Sarah made, and that's what makes Tuscany and Florence so unique is is the art, but the handmade art that takes place. It takes great skill to do to do, that these artisans have. Yeah, and when we walk around, it's you can tell each shop. It's not everything's for everybody. But they have some very unique uh, pieces, and, and what your wife is wearing, all the products that Sarah's selling is, I, I've never seen them, anything like it. E- either have I. And so when you visit Florence next time, make sure to, to to visit Sarah's shop. But before you do that, make sure to meet Sarah today on this edition of the Total Tuscany Podcast. Sarah, it's interesting how... The human connections can bring people together because we were doing a tour in the city center with Linda Sorgiovanni, and she brought us to your shop one day, and you weren't there. And my wife remembered it, and we were back in December. We walked in and introduced ourselves, and uh, that connection was made. It was. It was. Gr- it was great to meet you guys, and it was like we've known each other forever. So, <laughs> how did you first meet Linda? Because I want to I want to start there because that's that's really where the relationship started. Uh, where where did you meet Linda and how did how did that relationship come to about? 
So I met Linda way, way back in, I think, 2001. Um, and we actually worked for the same tour company. Um, so it, um, I, was a, I was a city tour guide and Linda was a countryside tour guide. And um, we, you know, we would have office meetings, office parties, office sort of get togethers and, and things like that. Um, and Linda was one of the guides in the group and slowly we got to know each other. And my favorite memory of Linda was when I had first moved to Florence and I was still learning Italian. I didn't speak Italian very well at the time. And there was a grumpy old shop owner who was mad at me for parking my bike in front of his shop. Um, and Linda stuck up for me. <laughs> and uh, she she kind of told him to, you know, quiet down, you know, stop being, stop being such a pain. And from there, we just kind of, you know, we kind of clicked. You mentioned uh, moving to Florence. That was back in 2001. Take us through your journey of growing up in Los Angeles and then ending up in, in, in Florence, Italy. And that's how you call your home now. Yeah. So um, it's it's a very sort of, I, I like to say my relationship with Florence started back in 2000. And I came as a student. Um, I did a study abroad program. I was studying art history and studio arts. And I got here and I immediately fell in love with the city. And then about a month after I arrived, I actually met the man who is now my husband. That's a typical so, story, by the way. That happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is yeah. a typical story. So that kind of changed my path. Um, that it sort of changed everything I had planned. Um, I did go back to the States for uh, my last semester of school. And then I finished up in the summer of 2001 and I moved, or I'm sorry, 2000. And then I moved back to Florence in January of 2001. And everybody thought I was absolutely nuts, especially my mother. <laughs> <laughs> because she's like, what are you doing? You know, you don't even know this guy. And I, and I moved in with him um, right away. And it is now, um, tomorrow we're actually going to celebrate our 18th wedding anniversary. Oh, so wow. yeah. <laughs> so it, it kind of worked out. What was the, uh, the biggest surprise moving from the States, other than the bureaucracy, we always hear about that in Italy. What was the biggest surprise for you? Oh, gosh. Um, I would have to say the, 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 the difficulty in making connections with other Italian friend groups. Um, I was sort of pushed, well, I had I had found a job at the tour company that I mentioned earlier. Um, I found that job pretty much right away. Um, and most of us that were working there were other, you know, expats, foreigners coming from different um, English speaking countries. So we kind of formed our own group, um, but then it became a little bit difficult for me to sort of branch outside of that and find relationships um, you know, friendships with, with groups of Italians. Um, and of cer certainly having my husband, well, who was my fiance at the time, that certainly helped. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't finding friends on my own. Um, so that part was a little bit tough, a little bit difficult for mm -hmm. me. You're an artist by trade and we're going to get into that because you have your own shop and it's a, it's a lovely little shop. Uh, we did some shopping there when yeah. we were there. So you, 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 you moved to Florence, you're a tour guide. You're probably also wanting to 
be an artist. Take me yes. through the, <laughs> the 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 transition of okay, I got to get my feet established and then still do art on the side until you could be able to to, to open your own shop. Yeah. Um, so when I became a tour guide, I kind of knew that that wasn't really what I wanted to do forever. Um, I enjoyed it. It was great. Um, I loved learning about the city and the history, but there was always that part of me that was making something. Um, and I would you know, I would be making jewelry that I would wear on my tours or I would embroider t-shirts and, you know, slowly a lot of people started asking about them, the people that I was giving the tours to, the people that I worked with. Um, so I decided that I wanted to go back to school um, and I wanted to do a fine arts degree. Um, but unfortunately in Florence at that time, there weren't a lot of contemporary art programs. There was a lot of hist historically based programs, traditional art and craft. Um, so I actually went back to the United States for two years. Um, and I went to a school called Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, which is near Los Angeles. Um, and I decided to, to do that. I got my degree in contemporary art and theory. Um, but then I wanted to come back to Florence and I, I wanted to bring those new ideas or ways of working to the city that is very traditional. And not that I thought that I was going to change anything in Florence necessarily, but um, just wanting that experience and that inspiration of this traditional city and all of these, this amazing craftsmanship that's here, um, but looking at it from a new perspective and doing things in a slightly different way than what's expected. Did you find that your, your approach to the contemporary art was welcomed by the other artisans in the area, or were you kind of shunned because you're doing something different? Uh, no, actually. I, I actually had a really good response um, in the beginning. Um, I think people were a little bit, uh, they, they weren't quite sure what it was. Um, I did a lot of explaining in the beginning, but I think that the concept of handmade and handcrafted is so ingrained into the culture here that however you're doing it, people are curious, people are interested and they wanna learn more about what it is that you're actually doing. Um, and I do use some traditional techniques, but with a non-traditional material. So people find that interesting and they want to learn more about that too. You mentioned the non-traditional material. What I was blown away at, and I, I think I've seen a lot of handcrafted um, art and, and jewelry. You use polymer clay and I, I, I was blown away by that. Did you start with polymer clay or did you just kind of organically find it? How did that, how did that come about? <laughs> Yeah, so when I came back to Florence after doing my the fine arts program, um, when I was in the school, I actually had they they give us a, they give you a studio, so you have a space. And I was doing a lot of painting, which was mostly collage, um, lots of sort of three dimensional uh, painting pieces. But I had a big studio there, and I moved back to Florence, and the apartments here are very small. I didn't have space to do that. Um, so I went to one of the only craft stores in the city, which has since closed, unfortunately. And I saw polymer clay sitting on the shelves and I had no idea what it was. I think I had, you know, seen it when I was younger. Um, so I picked it up and I asked the shop owner what it was, how it worked. And he was very nice. He explained it to me. So I bought a couple of blocks and um, I started experimenting with it. And it was a material that was accessible. I didn't need a big studio. I just needed a small space on a table to start working. And I started making little sculptures with it. Um, and then slowly, 
I don't really remember exactly how or when, but slowly those little sculptures turned into brooches. I started adding the pinbacks to them. Then I started making necklaces um, and earrings, and then it just kind of evolved from there. And I've been hooked ever since. Um, and that was back in 2008, I believe, that I started with it. How long did it take you to perfect that craft and go, you know what, I can I can sell this. Like, like <laughs> this is good. Because your shop now, and we'll get into that, is, is exclusively polymer clay. And I'm like, man, that, that's a lot of work. But how long did it take you to go, you know what, I can sell this. This is a business. Um, it took me probably about five years and that was, yeah, learning the techniques, learning how to make sure that it is cured properly, which is one of what was one of the hardest parts about it. Um, so that, you know, if somebody puts it on, it's not going to break. Um, and I was still working some side jobs here and there, um, but I did have a studio where I was doing both at the same time. But a full tradition took me about five years um, until I actually opened a my first studio, which was also a store space. I'm intrigued. So you have a lot of, obviously, a lot of talent and confidence to, I would imagine becoming an artist in polymer clay in Italy would be a little bit like a chef trying to go how to learn how to cook Italian in, in Florence. Um, <laughs> do you see other artisans now attempting to copy what you're doing? happened once or twice over the years, but um, nothing that's really been of concern to me or um, made me sort of um, take a second look. What I think is great about Florence is that there are so many artisans here uh, doing contemporary work with traditional materials. And I think that there's just so many different ideas um, and we, ha we have a really wonderful community and we all support each other and we all know each other. Um, so even if somebody was interested in learning about polymer clay, I would be happy to teach them about it um, because I feel like there's so many things to be inspired by. Um, I don't necessarily worry so much about people copying my work. What's um, a, what's the name of the uh, of the piazza you're in? Because you're not far from the Duomo, but uh, what's the name of the piazza you're in? It's uh, Piazza dei Chompi. So I, it's interesting, Pat, and, and when we visit in, in March, I'll, I'll point this out. You, you got a little marketing to you, too, because your your store, it's not huge by any means. No, but, it's not. <laughs> but, but you got a little marketing in you because it's very bright. You've got the purple or lavender door. It sticks out. It, it screams, come inside. Was, was that intentional? Because <laughs> you don't see a lot of shops like that in Florence. Like, that, that just. Oh, yeah. That was definitely intentional. Actually, when I moved in here, the door was just plain black. And um, and I don't. one day I just thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to paint it pink because um, my work is very feminine. It's very, you know, it's very floral. It's very feminine and it's very colorful. And um, I want the outside of the space to reflect what they're going, what, you know, what people are going to find when they walk in the door. Um, of course, my neighbor said, oh, no, you can't do that because it's part of the, you know, it's part of the condominium and the building and you have to get permission and you have to ask. And I was like, well, I've never really been one for following rules, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And if they get mad, then I'll just paint it back. <laughs> you know, what's, you know, what can happen? Um, so knock on wood, nobody has said anything yet. So <laughs> we're still going with the paint. 
Um, but yeah, it's because it's it's interesting because this piazza is very well known in Florence, and I'm right next to one of the main arteries that connects um, Piazza Beccheria, which is the main uh, viale or avenue, and it goes directly into Piazza della Repubblica. It's in a straight shot right into Piazza della Repubblica, but we have the loggia or the archway right in front, so you might miss it if you're not necessarily looking. Um, so I really wanted something that was going to, you know, catch your eye if you just happen to be walking and might not know that I'm here. So could you describe for the listeners here, we're, we're going to direct them to your website, but could you describe what it is that they're going to see when they walk in the shop? Brooches and what else are, are you specializing in? Yeah, so mostly it, it, it goes in phases, but right now you're going to find a lot of big statement necklaces, mostly colorful floral statement necklaces. Um, statement earrings, uh, so lots of big colorful pieces, and brooches. Um, I also do some rings and bracelets, but I've, I I kind of started off with the brooches, and I've liked to I've liked to keep that in um, as I've went along over the years. So you'll definitely always find those, but they have gotten much bigger than they were in the beginning. So everything is very big and very colorful. We have a pair of earrings that my wife purchased when she was there. Really? So we have a nice pair of earrings. And one of the unique things was was this. We walked in and you're expecting like, oh, my God, you, you, you make all this stuff. And you're expecting, I don't know, like the studio. And I'm like, what's your main piece of, of equipment to do this? And come <laughs> to find out it, it's a pasta roller. It's a pasta maker, right? <laughs> when did, did you discover a pasta maker was the best thing for rolling clay? Well, unfortunately, I can't take credit for that. Um, it is actually quite well known in the polymer clay community um, that a pasta machine is one of your one of the best tools that you can have. Um, so yeah, so that's something that polymer clay artists have been using since the '80s and the '90s. And I just, you know, I hopped on I hopped on that train, and I happened to be in a great place where I can find pretty good quality ones. I think I've been through about six or seven over the years. So, <laughs> um, is each piece of jewelry handmade, or is there any way to mass produce? Because I mean, it's so intricate. It's so, and, mm -hmm. and it looks very consistent. But is it every piece handmade, or are you able to reproduce some of those? Um, every piece is handmade. Um, I have tried in the past to do some molds of things, but they never really come out. Uh, right to me. Um, they're missing details. Um, it doesn't really quite look the same. Um, so yeah, everything I do is 100% handcrafted. Yeah. So <laughs> no two pieces are ever alike, but I can make things that look similar. Do you ever take on a commission type of, yes. if somebody wants a particular type of brooch or rose, will you can create that for them? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, for example, I had a, um, a customer who wanted, she was getting married and liked one of the brooches, but we modified it to a hairpiece. Um, so use the same kind of concept, but yeah, um, any, any kind of, if somebody has a particular flower that is, has, uh, particular importance to them, I can certainly make something with it. You know, you hear the word clay and you think, oh, that's very <laughs> fragile. It's going to, it's <laughs> going to break or it's going to bend. How did you or what's the method for making sure that it's a it's a durable material? Thank you so much for asking that question because that I think is one of the biggest concerns that people have when they see it. Uh, but polymer clay is incredibly durable, um, and it, it it depends on the brand. There are about 
there's a, there's about six different professional grade clays that you can use. Um, and depending on which one, some of them are actually flexible even once they've been cured, and some of them are very stiff and very hard, and you can't you can't move it at all. Um, but the trick is um, having a, for me anyway, an external oven thermometer because the most important thing about polymer clay is that it bakes at the exact temperature for the exact amount of time that it needs to. Um, if it's under by even a few degrees, then it becomes fragile and it will eventually break. Um, so yeah, it's all a matter of all a matter of temperature and time. How many times do people walk into your your shop and they're expecting an Italian and and you look Italian by the way? I think that we just start looking like where we live. Then you speak this perfect English. You're like, oh my god, an American! I can I can I can have a, a conversation. Yes, yes, it happens all the time, almost every single day. Um, it's uh, it, it's quite it's quite funny because. People just don't, they don't expect it. They don't expect to hear me speak English. Um, and of course that immediately opens up a conversation, which is great, you know, so where are you from and what's your story? And um, and that really, it, it helps to connect, create a connection. And I think that's really important, especially for what I do, because my work is very personal, not just to me, but also to the person who buys it, because it's not necessarily for everybody. Um, and it's almost like a Cinderella slipper. You have to find the right piece for you. Um, so I, I really like creating that bond and that relationship with the customers when they come in. Where, where do you, is there some particular project you have on the horizon, uh, some ambition that you haven't fulfilled yet? Yeah, <laughs> lots of them actually. Um, well, I think for, well, for me, the next sort of the next step, which is um, in the works is going to be part of a, um, a project or an event called Polymer Weekend, which is going to be a weekend full of tutorials and the it's going to be an online based tutorial. Um, and there are going to be six teachers from different parts of the world who are going to teach lessons. Um, so I'm going to be one of the teachers um, for that weekend. But um, aside from that, one of the biggest goals and something that I've had from the very beginning when I started all of this is to have my work in museum shops. Um, and to be part of a more curated section, a uh, selection of artists, um, and have a bit more exclusivity to, especially the bigger pieces, um, the more artistic pieces that I do. You know, when we were there, there was a there was a wonderful market out in the piazza, right across the street from your from mm -hmm. your shop. That could be a bit overwhelming because you have a lot of handcrafted artifacts, but they're all different, right? How mm -hmm. much is it? help you to have a level of consistency. What I mean by that is you walk in, there's different pieces, but it's all kind of the same. Do you know what I mean? So it's not as overwhelming, and I think it's easier to make a selection because I would go through those jewelry shops or, or, or booths out in front, and I'm like, I like this, but I like this, I like this, and I couldn't make a decision. <laughs> My wife made an instant decision when she when she yeah. was in your shop because there's a level <laughs> of consistency there. Yeah. Um, so the way that I work is I usually – I usually start with a concept of a color, a color theory, a color scheme that I want to use. Um, and the way that the pieces kind of tend to happen is I'll create a sheet of clay with a pattern or a design. Um, and then I make all of the pieces, but there might be too many for a necklace or there might be too many for a pair of earrings. So. I tend to work in collections. Like I created an entire collection using that concept or the, that color scheme. Um, so that tends to create that co the, the cohesiveness to the work. 
But I also have techniques that I love to use and techniques that maybe I wasn't perfect at the first time I tried. So I keep trying to protect that, uh, uh, perfect that technique. And once I get it to the place that I like it, then I can continue to use it. So, um, and I, I like to just try it in different ways. Do you ever, I'm thinking of Play-Doh here, right? I know it's not Play-Doh. I don't want people to think that, but do you, do you ever have one of those days where, you, where you, you're rolling along, you get about halfway, three quarters through and you go, damn it. And you just bundle it up and roll it back up and start over again. Oh yeah. <laughs> Take me through that. Um, you know, the other day I spent the entire afternoon working on something, um, was almost ready to put it in the oven. I looked at it again. I said, no, I don't like it. This is not going to work. Um, so I took it, took it all apart and I put it back through the pasta machine. And next day I started over again. I also have several plastic containers in the back here full of pieces that did go into the oven, um, that even when they came out and I began putting them together, they just didn't quite work the way that I thought they were going to. So they all go into these bins and then, you know, a couple months later, I'll go through the bins, see what's there, and I'll try and rework them in a, in a different way. How long does, so. sorry, Pat, it's a, how long does, does a piece, like let's use a brooch, just to, mm -hmm. just to give people an idea of how much time goes into this. How long does it take one piece of jewelry? Yeah. Um, it can depend for sure on the amount of detail that's in it and also um, whether or not the composition is working properly. But I would say one of the bigger brooches that's more of, I like to call them collage brooches because there's lots of different components or elements that get put together. Um, those can usually take me, I'll, I'll usually spend the entire day working on one brooch. And then the following day I'll go back and um, I always make sure that the backs look as nice as the front. So I'll do the backing on them, make sure that the brooch is attached properly, covered up with another layer of clay. Um, so in total, we're probably looking at about two days, two oh, wow. full working wow. days to finish to finish a brooch. Yeah. What's the most uh, unique or eccentric piece that you've created? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I had an idea to do something that was, I was thinking of vines hanging from the neck with flowers at the bottom of them. And so I I drew out, uh, sometimes I will make an actual template and I'll put it on the mannequin to make sure that the size and the proportions are correct. Um, so I did, I did all of that. Um, and then I realized that I was going to have to do it differently than I did the drawing. So sometimes I don't really know until I start working on it, until I start actually cutting out the pieces. Um, so instead of making solid branches, I actually had to make them individually. Um, so they one by one, and then I had to add a backing to them because I didn't like the way that the backing wasn't um, matching up to what you saw in the front. So I had to add a backing to it. So that one, I would say, was my most intricate piece and something I will never do again. So the person who bought it has an absolute one-of-a-kind piece that will never get made again by me. You know, Florence <laughs> so. is such an inspiration. Tuscany is an inspiration. Do you do you dream pieces? Do you do you walk around the, the, the city center and go, oh, that's, that's an inspiration right there? Where, where do you find your inspiration? Yeah. I mean, I do, definitely. But it's uh, it comes from... Um, a lot of the details. So one of the things that I love to do when I walk around Florence is look up. 
um, because I think sometimes people forget to look up, but every once in a while you'll catch the like this glimpse of a window open with a fresco painting on the ceiling, just somebody's apartment that just happens to be frescoed. Um, or you can see the cornices underneath the buildings and they're decorative and they'll have like a floral motif on them or the rondelles on the doors where the knockers are. And those are intricately carved wood with floral designs. Um, so I'm always looking at that kind of thing. But I'm also incredibly inspired by Renaissance costume. So I look a lot at Renaissance portraiture and the wealthy nobles from the 15th, 15th and 16th century mostly, because that's when you start to get into late Renaissance and the Baroque period, which Baroque was incredibly elaborate. And the more brocade fabrics you had, the more jewelry that they were draped in, you know, this was all status symbol. This was all about showing their wealth. Um, so I like to find little details in those portrait paintings and pull them out and concentrate on that one detail to make a piece of jewelry. Now, do our listeners have to come into your sh shop or can they connect with you at your website and then perhaps have something shipped to the U.S.? Absolutely. Um, so I do have an online store. Um, I don't always have everything in the online shop, but my Instagram is where they can find the most updated pieces. What's uh, usually what I'm currently working on. I'll take a picture and I'll um, and I'll add it to Instagram. So they can certainly look through Instagram. If they see something that they like there, they can contact me directly um, or send me an email. Um, and yes, I, I ship to the United States and it's actually, I know shipping can be a little bit, um, sometimes people get a little bit worried about shipping from Italy, but I have a very good tried and trusted shipping company that I've been using for years. Um, and they do an excellent job in making sure that everything gets to everybody securely and in a short amount of time. You have a, a wonderful Instagram page, a Facebook page, a Pinterest page, and I was checking yeah. out your YouTube page as well, where you do some tutorials. Uh, Pat, Pat, you may not know this, but if you, when you walk into Sarah's shop, she has a little magazine or newspaper clipping where you were on it like a reality TV show, right? What, what was that yeah. show? <laughs> um, it was called Meet Your Makers Showdown. Um, and it was on Discovery Plus. Um, unfortunately, from what I understand, it is no longer on the streaming platform. It has been taken down. I don't know why, um, but it's um, but no, it's not there anymore. But yes, I was on I was on television. So a little you know humble brag there. That was fun. Um, <laughs> it was quite an experience. Um, and they do make you work really fast. And, <laughs> I, I, and I'm sure you get this as well. When people walk in and say, I want to follow your path. I, now in my old mm. trade, I'm, I'm a broadcaster by trade, right? So I've, I've, I've been on television. I, I've done radio. Uh, I've moved on because I, I, I needed to do something else. But I'm sure people say, hey, I want to follow your path. I always tell people who want to be on the radio and, and television, don't do it because it's, it's a lot harder than what you think. I, I was lucky. I've been able yeah. to do it for – and I'm still on the radio, but I, I've been able to do it for almost 40 years. I'm a lucky person. Yeah. But yeah. it's not well, – have a great voice. <laughs> it, it's not an easy path. Do you, no. do you say follow your dreams or do you go, hold on for a second? Yeah, I mean – I think that if anybody has the, so if, if they feel it, if they feel that they're an artist, if they feel that they need to create, then you need to create, you need to, you need to do it. 
Um, but I would say make sure that before you put all your eggs in that basket, that it's something that, you know, you, you, you have to make sure that it's going to be able to support you, that it's you know, you're, you're making consistent sales before you decide to do it full time. Um, but I always do say this, um, I went to art school because I wanted to be a full-time artist, just like somebody goes to law school to be a lawyer. That was my intention when I went to law, when I went to art school was to be, to, to have a career in the arts and no, it's not easy. It is definitely not easy. Um, it definitely takes persistence. And I think sometimes people do tend to give up too quickly. Um, it's, it, it takes time. It, it really does. And, you know, even now looking back on the things that I created even five years ago, um, I have grown even in that time. And I, my work has become better even in those, you know, even in, in the last few years. And I am now able to ask a bit more money for my pieces because, you know, it, just like any any professional, the more experience you have, the better you get, the more you grow and the more um, you more the more you make. Um, and I think that that's the same in the arts, but you have to be very persistent about it. Um, and you also have to know that there are lots of other great artists out there. I, I have a hypothetical question, Sarah. Yeah. Can you imagine taking your shop and transplanting it into Southern California? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, really? Mm -hmm. Or would you, can you just not envision doing that? Is, is Florence mm -hmm. where it has to be? Yeah, I mean, I think there's something really unique about Florence when it comes to artisans. Um, when you're an artisan in Florence, it's sort of the thing that you do. You open a shop, um, you open a workshop that is also a store. And unfortunately, I don't think that Southern California really has that same sort of appreciation or culture. Um, there are certainly places where you know art is sold and where handcraft is appreciated certain types of um like museum great the la has a great contemporary art scene certainly um but no i don't i don't think that this would work in many other cities in the world what do you miss about the united states i mean florence <laughs> florence is home obviously um but you yeah. have family back in the states what what do you miss about the united states if anything yeah, no, I do. I mean, certainly my family. Um, I come from a very big, my mother is actually a New York Italian American. So that tells you everything you need to know right there. She comes from a very big, very loud Italian American family. And ours in, in, you know, has, has become the same. And it's wonderful. And I love it. And I do miss being part of that. I'm the only one that lives far away. All of my siblings and my family lives within 10 miles of each other. Um, you know, my nieces and nephews are starting to have children now, which is, you know, there's lots of new little ones around. Um, but you know, silly things that I miss, you know, I miss, I miss driving. I don't have a driver's license in Florence, in Italy, um, which is a whole nother topic yeah. of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to get here, but it's also just part of me just being chicken. Um, but you know, Things like Target and Trader Joe's, as silly as it might sound, um, but those kind of conveniences, um, and you can find them, but it's not quite the same. Um, and every once in a while, you know, I have to say, I just miss, I miss being an American. I miss having the backyard barbecue with, you know, playing rock and roll music in the backyard and, you know, having a beer. It's, 
it's it, people certainly have parties and we have a lot of fun here but there's just something about like that nostalgia of when you're young and um hanging out with your friends and in the backyard that that i miss do you find that your your family here in, in the states comes to visit you and you spend more quality time with them in that way or, or are you always coming making the trek back to the states no it's actually interesting because my mom tells me all the time she feels like when she's here um, she spends more time with me than she does with my siblings when she's back home um, because we're together for, you know, at least two weeks at a time. Um, and we're, you know, we're going out to dinner or we're, you know, we're doing things together um, for, you know, two straight weeks, which is which is wonderful. My parents, um, yeah, before the pandemic, of course, they were coming every year. Um, they're going to be back in April. Um, they were here last year in June. Um, and now that my, my nieces and nephews are getting a little bit older than my, now my siblings have a little bit more free time. Um, so everyone except for one brother has been here to visit me. So we're trying to, trying to get him to, to come soon. You brought so. up the pandemic. How devastating to your business was <laughs> the pandemic? And are you back to pre-pandemic <laughs> action at your shop in, in Florence? Um, I am not, not quite yet. Um, so the pandemic for me was actually quite, I, I took quite a hit. Um, I had been in a different shop before the pandemic. And the way that things sort of played out for me over the years is I'd opened my first studio, which was on a very small side street, not a lot of foot traffic. Then I moved into another space with another person who already had that, who already had that store. Um, and then in 2019, I felt like I had outgrown that space and I felt like I had, it was time for me to move out on my own again. So I did, and I signed a contract for a new store in January of 2020. Oh my. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my husband being an ex-contractor, um, helps me with the, renovations of it. Um, we finished everything at the end of February. We, we had the grand opening on February 26th and Italy went into lockdown on March 9th. So we tried to, to keep it open, um, but because what I do is very much, um, you know, I, most, of my, most of my customers are visitors. There are, there are tourists, there are travelers, there are um, people that are not living in Florence. I mean, I do have some Florentine. Anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it to keep it open. So we decided to close um, and we moved everything back to our apartment. Um, and I had been working from home for about two and a half years before I opened this space that I'm in now. Um, so I, I, I've been here now a little over a year. You know, it is location, location, location. And, yeah. and if you don't know Florence, sometimes you just stumble upon it. <laughs> uh, do you feel you're in the ideal location? You know, the Alterano, obviously very popular for, for artists and crafts. Do you feel like you're in the right location? You know, um, yes, I do. Um, and what's interesting is that the Alterano, yes, definitely artisan's quarters historically known as such. But I always like to say that where I am is the other artisan quarter of Florence, um, because uh, this is the Zona Sant'Ambrogio, for those of you who um, who might know Florence a little bit. Um, and there's actually quite a few artisans that are tucked away over here. Um, and we've put together a little map that shows you where we all are. So you can go in and visit and see what everybody's making. And there's actually quite a few of us over here. So it's a great little part of town. 
Um, it's also pretty local still, so you don't necessarily have the crowds that you would have. Even the old Toronto is getting a little bit more crowded than it used to be. Um, and then you also have the Sant Ambrogio Market over here, which is a, a scaled down version of the central market. Um, and it's where all the Florentine, every all the locals buy their buy their food at Sant Ambrogio Market. It's so a, it's a it, great place to it, It's a beautiful market, Pat, and I can't wait to yeah. take you there because <laughs> I mean the fresh fruit, the vegetables, the meat inside, uh, and if you want some tripe, there's a nice little tripe uh, yes. uh, food truck right outside. <laughs> I, I haven't tried the tripe yet. I, I, I don't. I, I, I'm well, not. We're going to try in March. No, I'm not going to try tripe. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> what about the lamb prodotto? You got to try the lamb prodotto. Uh, I, I will, uh, yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I will let you show us where to go, and okay. you tell us what to do, and, and we will do it. So we are looking forward to seeing you in March. You have been absolutely wonderful. Uh, wonderful. We appreciate it. We've been trying to get this lined up. I'm glad it finally happened. And, yes, uh, me too. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> not a problem. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we will catch up soon. Wonderful. Can't wait to see you in March. That was super interesting. Oh, fabulous. Just absolutely fabulous. And she even brought it up. Most of her artwork, it's it's 100% for women, right? I don't think she has any pieces for for males. But it, it I we went back three times. We went to her shop three times. We, we purchased a piece the first time we were there, but we just kept going back to talk to her. And it's, it's, it's a small shop. It's quaint. But all the pieces are so unique. I just found myself looking at the intricacy and the detail, and I'm like, you made every one of these pieces by hand. And you heard her take an average piece takes like two days. That's the part that I think most Americans probably don't get. Can yeah. you imagine one pair, one pair of earrings or a brooch taking two days of a person's life to make? Can you think of another product made here that... that no, other I, than a painting or something like because that. Because most stuff's just mass produced. You know, like she said, she she tried to, to to work with molds and stuff like that, but couldn't get the, the the quality that she wanted. And you know that to me, being handmade makes the piece even more valuable. And taking two days to work on something, what she's selling them for, you well in, in time wise. And you're a lawyer; you charge by the by the hour. You're losing money at that point. I mean. You know what I mean? Just by your your time, just taking so much of it. Yeah. Did you find that the prices were? Would Americans be shocked by the price? No, I actually think they would find them very reasonable. And I forget what my wife paid for her earrings, but I wasn't like, oh my god, I'm I'm paying that much. Um, no, I thought they were very reasonable, and and because it's so unique, because it is handmade. No two pieces are alike. They look similar, but no two pieces are alike. And I don't think you can say that for a lot of things that you that you purchase. You know, if I went to Macy's or or a, a department store, you know, the person next to me could could buy the exact same thing. You you go to Sarah's shop and you're like, I know I'm getting a one of a kind, handmade. And there's and when you meet the owner, and Sarah will talk to you for a long time when you're in there, which is great because you can have that conversation. When you know the artist, when you know the passion behind it, when you learn the story. That piece holds even more sentimental value than than anything else you buy, right? Absolutely. And, and one of our last trips to, to Florence together, I purchased a, a business card holder. Yeah, I use it every day. Uh, I know that a lot of people don't use business cards anymore. In these, I'm dating myself. You are. You, you still probably like write checks, don't you? I do. <laughs> Did one today. But I, 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 it resonates with people that when you when you hold something and you know who produced yeah. it. Yeah. 
That's very cool. Sarah is great. To make sure to visit her shop on your next time to Florence, uh, if you want to visit her website, just uh, click the link that's uh, on this blog post, and you will find some of the great creations that she makes uh, handmade in her shop in Florence. Make sure to follow us on our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and Twitter. Just search Total Tuscany. It's easy to find. If you are passionate about Tuscany and, and travel, make sure to, and you know other people who are too, make sure to share this podcast with others as they can also find all the stories we've been able to share and also you, they, you can introduce them to Sarah. For Pat Campania, I'm Travis Justice. We will talk to you next time on the Total Tuscany Podcast. Mm-hmm.